All right. So um, today we're going to be looking in the book of Numbers, Numbers 13, and it'll be, we're going to fly through this message. Uh, the book of Numbers is way towards the left side of your Bible. So feel free to check the uh, table of contents. The Old Testament matters to Christians too, right? We don't have two different gods. We don't have an Old Testament God and a New Testament God. What we have is the same God being revealed across all of human history uh, in distinct ways through the different times. And so, uh, but he is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And, um, and so when we look at numbers, uh, we need to make sure that we remove the bias that this is an old cranky God who sits up in heaven and loves killing people and recognize that this is the same God who redeemed us from our sin and died for us and rose from the dead so that we could have eternal life. Um, we're, uh, this month in February, we're, it's, we're taking the four weeks of February to talk about faith because there's a place for alliteration in our lives. So four weeks of faith in February. We're looking at Numbers chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. It'll be on the screen behind me as well. I'm sorry, verses 1 and 2. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. This is God's word to us. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask for a spirit of revelation to fall on us so that we could see you even in the most difficult of times. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, Moses is a, is a person who many of us are familiar with uh, because of the Ten Commandments and Mount Sinai and the Red Sea. So I, I don't want to go into detail about who he is, but I want to highlight that this is a sh- time shortly after the Israelites had been delivered from Egypt. And they'd come through uh, the, the plagues. They got out of Egypt. They went through the Red Sea. The Red Sea crashed down on Pharaoh's army. And now they're, they're moving towards this land that God had promised them, this, this promised land. Uh, and they're moving towards it. And God speaks to Moses and said, send these spies, send the best of the best of the best to go into this land and to make a report because I'm going to give you this land. And he gives them certain criteria later in the chapter where he tells them what to look for. Look for the, uh, the fruit. Look for the quality of the land. Look for who's there. Take, take heed of what's, what's there. Take notes and bring some stuff back with you so that you can show people what you found. These people had just seen God do amazing things. And, you know, in delivering them out of Egypt, they basically left a bunch of slaves, left uh, a a kingdom with a strong army, and and they just walked out. Not a one of them died in this revolution. Not a one of them died in this escape out of Egypt. And so they should be ready for God to continue to do remarkable things on their behalf. In the same way that God's moved on our, on our lives and moved in the lives of those we love. And so we too should expect God to do remarkable things in us. Because he's made promises to us. And, but, the, but we're going to see what happens when you, un, when you encounter unexpected violation of your expectation. So we start with Moses. being uh, God comes to Moses and he's like, hey, I'm going to give you this land. And, and so this expectation is birthed in Moses' heart and I'm sure in the hearts and minds of the people around him. 
And when we get good news or when we hear something, like you hear that you've got a destiny, you immediately start to ascribe certain things to that destiny. You give a meaning where there's any gap. Your brain fills in those gaps. And if you're not sure, you'll fill it in based on your biases. If you're cranky, you'll, you'll be like, oh, I got a destiny of nothing. You know, destiny is sitting at this job and just suffering for the rest of my life and not making enough money and watching everybody else get promoted, maybe. Right? If you're a little on the cranky side. If you're a little bit on the optimistic side, maybe you'll hear somebody say something about destiny and you'll be like, I'm the next president of the United States. I'm going to be a millionaire. God's going to bless all of my efforts and nothing will go wrong. I see all blue sky. But our bias creates the expectations. Um, God's happy to tell us what it's going to look like if we would just wait a little bit longer. But, but oftentimes we're ready to take off like a shot. Uh, and, and, create our, and create our own reality instead of walking into his. Uh, I remember um, one time uh, the, youth, the youth pastor when I was in high school. Um, oh, no, when I was in college, the youth, I was serving with the youth pastor. And he's like, yeah, when I was in college, a bunch of us carried crosses around on campus on Holy Week. And I'm like, man, that's intense. It's like, what people think? He's like, you know, just things, you know, got respect. I'm like, nice. So you and your, your teammates did this. He's like, yeah. I was like, I'm going to do it, but I don't have any teammates. So I'm just going to do it. What I pictured in my mind was a six foot cross. And so I built it like big old piece of wood, like logs. I went into the woods and I like knocked it down and I, it was like this big around and six foot two and about this far across. And I, and he said he took it everywhere. So I was like, I'm taking it everywhere too. And so I carried it around. I took it to the cafeteria with me. I took it to the shower with me and hung it outside. Like I, I took it to the classrooms. I set it in the back of the, I, I, there was nowhere that I went that that cross didn't go with me. It was hanging out my window on the drive to church because I had a Wednesday night service to go to and I was going to take my cross with me because he took it everywhere. And I walk into the building and he looks at me. He goes, what are you doing? I was like, well, you told me about how you guys made crosses and, and you took them with you everywhere and it was a big faith experience for you. So that's what I'm doing. And he's like, bro, they were, they were this big. <laughs> right, so my imagination and my bias is everything is huge. Right, and so, so I did it big. And he's like, and we didn't take it everywhere, everywhere. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm already in. <laughs> So, so I followed through and it was ridiculous and amazing. And it was a, it was a neat week. And I'll talk about that another time. Um, but, but we all have moments like that where we expect one thing and we, and we get another thing. I'm sure Megan had pretty high expectations for me when we were dating and then reality sets in and, and you're like, Oh, that's what I get. And, and you know, my kids went to a summer camp and they, they taught the kids to say, you get what you get and you don't throw a fit. No, it's good, because Jesus is working on me. But then there's the, the violation of our expectation, isn't there? We have this expectation, and then we encounter a violation. It's that obstacle that we didn't even know was there. We either tend to imagine too many obstacles or not enough obstacles. And, and so when the, the violation of this expectation comes, it, it hits us so hard that we get, we get knocked sideways or get knocked down and we don't, we don't know 
how to continue to press forward. You said marriage was great. You said parenting was, you said kids were a blessing. (laughs) Right? I remember, I'm sorry to use my life as an example so much today, but I remember I had the opportunity to take a job and I was praying about this job and I was like, I don't know what way, I don't know which way to go. And Megan was praying. She goes, David, I really feel like God told me that I'm going to love the man that you become as a result of this job. And I was like, yes, no brainer. Right? My wife's going to love me more because I imagined that I was going to do great at the job and I was going to make money and I was going to excel and I was going to get promoted and people were going to just start giving me cars and they were going to buy me houses and they were going to fly me all over the world to do things or nothing because it was going to be that great. And it was awful. I was terrible. I was worse than terrible. It was stressful. I was losing my hair. I was sweating it. I would drench the sheets at night with sweat. I, I would. I, I put on. I started putting on weight. My heart started beating irregularly. I had to go to the doctor, and they were like, "Yeah, you're a mess." I was like, "I know," and you know, no vitamin D. And you know, there was a massive violation of my expectation. And so I was suffering and struggling in this position. And it's like, but you said you were going to love me more because, you know, and, and when she came to me one day, she's like, she's like, I don't, you're not the man I married. And I was like, but you said you were going to love me more. We've all had moments like this, haven't we? Where we had great expectation and great hope. And we just get punched in the stomach and we lose our wind. We're not sure how to recover. It's like uh, somebody says they're going to make you nachos. And they give you a little tub of that nacho cheese stuff, like cheese whiz. You know, and you're like, these are, it's offensive to my spirit. <laughs> Devil is a liar. Or you're expecting a, a chocolate kit chip cookie and you get an oatmeal raisin. Isn't that, dis- isn't that disappointing? You're like, life is not worth living! <laughs> I met a guy today who, got, <laughs> who used to get a kick. I mean, I know him. He told me today. He confessed to me. It was a very pious conversation. But he's like, yeah. <laughs> he, he goes, he goes, I like putting M&M's in people's Skittles. <laughs> How messed up do you have to be to put M&M's in a man's Skittles? Because like you're expecting sweet and chewy and you get what would be otherwise good. It's chocolate. Like, M&M's are good, but it coats your mouth and now you can't enjoy the Skittles anymore for like a long time. It's messed up. It's what the devil likes to do. M&M's in the Skittles. Tell you the right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. Oh, that'll preach. Another week, we don't have time. Anyway, 
So this violation happened. So this, uh, the, the, uh, the spies were, were met with, with a surprise. So they go into the land, and this is actually pretty cool. They go into the land, and the, the land is so bountiful, and it's so fruitful, and it's, it's so amazing that the, it's, the Bible describes it this way. They came to the valley of Eshol and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between the two of them. Not because it was a fragile grape and they were protecting it, but because they were massive. The fruit was so bountiful and so big, the land so fertile that they had to carry it between a pole. And it says that they brought along other food too, right? So that's some pretty good news. And you're like, hey, look at this land God's going to give us. Check, check out these grapes. Check out these figs. We're going, this is the promised land. It's flowing with milk and honey. Baby, we're going to go. It's going to be amazing. And then they looked up and they got over the ridge and they saw the people who were living there. And they were enormous. They were giant men, and they, they look over, and they're like, oh, these are warriors, and these are descendants of warriors. We're in trouble. The promise of the grapes was, was good, but the appearance of the enemy was bigger and more intimidating than their, than their hope for the good thing. And they, and they, started, they started to panic. They were blindsided. Because the obstacles were so much bigger than the grapes were big. We get blindsided in real life, don't we? Someone in my small group shared on Thursday night about how uh, a recent miscarriage blindsided her. It hurt so bad. It shocked her. And started to talk about how the through the community of people who rallied around her, people driving her places and bringing her things and calling her and just checking in on her was, was uh, ointment to her soul, not her words, mine. But she got knocked sideways. I don't, know, I don't know what knocked you sideways. I don't know what will knock you sideways, but something has and something's going to again. Uh, it's a popular saying because it's true that you're either coming out of, in the midst of, or going into difficulty. In part because we live in a hard world. And in part because God uses this difficulty to teach us and train us. So they were, they were blindsided. At this point of violation, you have to make a decision. There were 12 spies that went, and 10 of them decided that the obstacle was too big. And the size of the obstacle drowned out the promise of God that preceded everything and caused them to go into the land in the first place. See, by now you forgot in this little sermon verses 1 and 2 that I read just 10 minutes ago. And all we're thinking about are the obstacles and maybe the grapes and some of us nachos. It's so easy to see how quickly our attention turns from the promise that God made to the things that we perceive. And then we forget about God's plan and God's purpose and we rely mostly on our perception of what's around us to define what reality is. 
Ten of the spies took this approach. They came back and said, we can't do it. Sure, there are some grapes. Sure, the land is flowing with milk and honey, but the obstacles are too big. There's too much. It's going to be too difficult. We're going to be overwhelmed. We can't do it. Because they forgot the promise. They forgot that this is something that God was going to give them. Certainly, they were going to have to fight. Certainly, they were going to have to labor. But these are the same people who just got delivered out of Egypt supernaturally. They'd already forgotten what God did. You know, when Jesus died and rose from the dead, that that should be as encouraging to us or more encouraging to us than anything that he's done for us so far in our own lives. So when you can't find it, when you can't find it in your own life, like I I can't even see God, at least he's still risen from the dead for you. So they brought this bad news and the bad news spread among the people. The people latched onto the bad news. I don't know what it is about bad news. Maybe it's our sinful bias. It's that starting place of being sinful that that causes us to believe bad news more than we believe good news. But if I told you a story about something really, really bad happening, you would probably believe that more readily than something really, really good happening. I mean, think about the gospel. That is the hardest thing about, the, about receiving Jesus Christ as a Lord and Savior is that it's so good. It's not that it's so bad. Right? It's easy to accept the idea that there's a, there's a God who hates people and wants to destroy everybody and send them to hell. We like to hate that God as a culture. But the idea that there's an all-loving God who's ready, ready and willing to forgive our sin if we would just accept him and follow him Why is that harder to believe? Joshua and Caleb made a different decision. They decided that God's promise was bigger than their perception. They decided that if this is something that God was going to do, then he could do it and no man could stop it. No giant No army could stand in the way of God fulfilling what he purposed to do. And that's the approach that Joshua and Caleb took. Of all the people in Israel, they were the only two that got to enter in. It was the unbelief and it was the doubt that the people brought back spread like gangrene or, or to use a, a you know, the, the Bible talks about um, your body parts fall off. Leprosy. leprosy. Spread through the Israelites like leprosy. And he's like, with this kind of unbelief and doubt, you can't go in. Because just the thought of an enemy crippled you. You can't crumple on the thought of the enemy. I need you to be able to stand firm when you're looking at the enemy, which I'm going to overcome anyway. But the reality of his promise needed to be bigger than the, the, the fear of a threat. You know, the fear of a threat will keep you crippled and keep you from walking into a whole lot of good stuff that God intends for you to be able to experience. 
Many of us never even actually have to encounter a threat. I know a lot of people who don't want to serve because they're afraid they're going to burn out. Well, have you ever burned out? Nope. Try it. (laughs) Step out and try it. Let's see if you burn out. Right? I, I don't want to sound crass, but, but it's kind of like, let's just step out and try, and I, I bet you won't because you've got people around you who love you and, and aren't going to let you. It's just this fear of burning out. And, you know, it's like, you know, because they heard that other people burned out or they know someone who's burned out or somebody they know know burned out. And it's like, oh, church has burned people out. Well, no, no, that's not. I mean, it happens, but it doesn't have to happen. And the fear of doing this is keeping you back from the blessing and the, and the, and the, and the fulfillment that comes from serving because you're afraid of something that might not even happen anyway. The violation uh, is there, and, and I want to... Um, not all violation is the work of the devil. Some of it is placed there by God right smack dab in the, middle of, in the middle of your life because he loves you. And he doesn't, and, and he wants to change your course. Maybe not the direction. Sometimes it's stay exactly in the same direction, but I'm going to change how you approach as you go in this direction. I'm going to change you as you go if I don't change where you go. His interest is in sanctifying us and making us holy and in turning us into a people who look like him. And he'll certainly allow difficulty and pain and sorrow to enter our lives for the purpose of refining us and testing our faith and helping us know where we are. He's mostly just letting us know what he already knew. It's just a surprise when we find out. Difficulty that is lovingly, mercifully, sovereignly placed in your life. But here's what happens if you choose, like Caleb and Joshua, to grab onto the promise. There's a resurrection. If you choose to hold on to the promise of God, when there's been a violation of your expectation, there is a resurrection. There's a resurrection of hope and expectancy. There's a resurrection or a rebirth, a regrowing of joy and hope and love, of completion, of strength, of of anticipation of the good things of God. That he really will do what he said he will do. That he really hasn't left me. He really didn't forsake me. He really does love me and he's not going to leave me. we can always look back at his death, burial, and resurrection as the seal or or as as, as much more than this, but as a sign of what he's done to prove that he'll come through. If somebody has died from you and risen from the dead for you, they'll do anything for you. (laughs) If somebody won't, you know, buy you lunch, It might not do a whole lot more for you because that doesn't hurt. I want to encourage you this morning that the promises of God are worth fighting for. I want to encourage you this morning to remember the promises of God and let God's promise of what he wants to do and what he intends to do and what he promises to do inform your reality more strongly than whatever it is that you see in front of you. 
And that's what will make you willing to repent when the other person is also wrong. Repent is just, it's an, it's an apology that also brings with it a change of direction, a change of mindset, a change of belief. It's, I want you to believe the promises of God and believe that they're bigger than the size of the, the enemies that you see in the land that you're taking. I don't know what your obstacles are this morning. I, can, I, I know some of them. I know some people in our congregation who are facing very serious health problems. I know people in our congregation who are facing marriage difficulty and parenting difficulty. And it would be real easy to get, to get caught up. And, and you know, it, it, so it's not just, uh, let me just, you want, I, I don't want to talk all about the pain and p- problems that we're facing, but there's relational problems. And then there's problems of heart sickness. Like I thought God would do this by now, or I thought I would be in this by now. I thought I'd have a relationship by now. I thought he would come through for me with this job by now. I thought that he'd provide a house for me by now. I thought my car would work better by now. I thought yeah, I'd be better looking by now, you know, <laughs> like, that I'd lose that weight by now, right? What, whatever the thing is that you're up against. Okay. So it's so easy and there's so big, but it'll blind you out to the promise and the reality of his kingdom for you. The only way that we're going to know what it is that he says about is, is if we, if we get around God's people so that they can remind us what he is. And if we find it in, in the Bible, you know, Facebook has a lot to say about what we should expect from life. I once watched a guy scream at his kid, lose his mind, talk about how crazy, like angry he was and his wife was out of town and he's like, this is, I'm going mad, you know? And he like, he was ready to strangle me because of his son. And it it was like, man, this is really rough. And so, you know, we we just talked and, you know, he left and I left. And then later that day on Facebook, like while we were talking, I saw him take a picture of his son. He posted it. He said, having a great time with my son, father, son time. Woo, love time with my boy. And I'm like, you liar. (laughs) But that's when my social media reality bubble burst. And I was like, maybe not everything I see online is true. But we, can, we, buy into, we buy into all of these things that we see, even though it doesn't tell us the whole story, much less the truth. So again, I, I'm, I want to encourage you to fight for the promises of God. Fight to find, fight to savor, fight to remember the promises of God in the midst of the difficulty that you face this week. Amen.